0: Good morning, LMCC. Happy to see you all today. I hope you're having a good weekend. Um, we're going to talk today a little bit about the rhythm series that we've been in, right? We've, we've been um, preaching on the rhythms that we, we might want to get into in our life and, and the way we want to look at that. Um, but I you this morning about a new rhythm I want you to look at, which would be this rhythm of joy. And so I know most of you are thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. What, what does joy have to do with the rhythms of our life? But this morning, I want us to look at it as a necessary rhythm in our life to be able to find joy and then what God intends for us to do with that joy. Um, and so I want to look at that as it might be this necessary part of our daily life and our daily interactions, right? It's also necessary to have this sort of long-term consistent relationship with God that's not event-driven. And not contingent on things, but it's just you and God in this long term consistency. And how do we get to that place of really self assured joy? Um, So, I want to talk about joy as being a gift from God this morning, right? It's something we own, something we need to protect. I think we often can get in this place of thinking that joy is something we have to wait on or that we have to get from somewhere else, when in all honesty, it's already been given to us as children of God, but we need to know what to do with it, right? What do we do with it, and and how can we use it for His kingdom work? Um, so I want to I walk around in that with you guys today. Um, I want us to think about joy as being this really powerful tool of the kingdom of God. Something that we can employ and use for his work. And, and that actually that's the way that he intended it. That's what he wanted us to do. Um, so I want to look at that. How do we employ it in our daily lives? How do we employ it in our actions and in our interactions and in our thoughts? Um, and realize that it's possible. And I would venture to say Necessary to have joy be able to coexist with the other things that we feel right that we feel sadness that we feel sorrow uh that we feel anger that we feel frustration and disappointment that joy can coexist with those things it's not one or the other and so I want us to be able to get in the space of realizing that they can coexist and biblically they must coexist and so to be able to talk about that this morning um we often think it's one or the other right we have this human lens over it so I want to think about this idea of of being joyful, even in the midst of the things that you feel heavy about, that you might feel weighted down by, that you feel like you um, have responsibility in, but God's telling you there's joy in that process. We need to talk about what God says about having joy in those processes, And that he sees joy as mutually supporting to the things that we might have to go through in our human life. So as we talk about joy, we need to understand how to recognize it. How do I even recognize joy? How do I even know where it is and what it looks like, right? Specifically, how do I recognize this joy that's given directly from God? Um, And then how do I immerse in that joy, right? How do I immerse myself in that joy and in the Holy Spirit? And then how do I employ it as part of my rhythm as a servant of God? Um, And so I want to talk about those Let's talk about how to recognize it first. Um, We first have to recognize that joy belongs in the realm of the supernatural, right? Joy was brought up in the Bible before humans. And so this idea of joy was something that God created in his supernatural realm, right? It's part of his creation. It's not an emotion from the human condition. And sometimes we can relegate it to that, right? It's a human emotion. So it's something that I can't control. Well, that's not true. So let's talk about the idea of joy from God's perspective. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, let me get some definitions of what this joy might look like, right? And, um, and we've talked about definitions before, but I think it's incredibly important for us to realize the definitions God might have for something and the definitions we might have for something. And sometimes they can be different. Um, so I read the, the dictionary definition, of joy. And it says, it's a feeling of happiness about the prospect of possessing your heart's desires or or one's desires. It's the prospect of possessing them. So I thought to myself, well, the prospect of possessing means there's a chance I won't be able. possess those things. Right? So I don't know if I like that definition. I don't like, I don't know if I like that because it still leaves something up to chance, right? It still leaves something lurking that could possibly take this away from me. So then I, I read a definition from a biblical commentary that said happiness and joy are, are, or joy, I'm sorry, is happiness over a present good, right? So it's a good that's present and we get to be happy over that, that portion. I want to look at this idea of joy as ever-present from God, right? It's not something that goes away and that eludes us. It's something that's ever-present from Him, and how do we stay in that space? Um, It's never removed from us. It's just the idea of whether we recognize that, right? Um, and then as I was further reading, Rick Warren has a definition that reads, Joy's, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life and that determined choice to praise God in every situation. So I got to that definition. I was like, all right, now I'm starting to kind of understand how these things weave together, right? We have the human lens of things and then the supernatural and godly lens of things. And how does that look? Um, so I like that idea of settled assurance, right? And the fact that I'll have praise to God in every situation. Um, So we really think about joy being a response to God's word, right? It's not a response to the world, it's a response to God's word. It's this idea that it's the knowledge that your eternity is secured and you're living under the refuge of the most powerful God. Um, If we look at the word as a whole, right? The whole Bible, we see that one of the main themes is the salvation that God has given us, right? He's given it to his creation. Everything is working toward that end, that eternal salvation is promised, right? It's a constant hit of joy from God, right? Because it's an assurance that his promises will be fulfilled. They always have been and they always will be. And so it's that settled assurance, right? How do I recognize that? I want us to look in one of the Psalms this morning and look at it through the eyes of David. There's lots of different places in the Bible to read about joy. I encourage you to look around in there and see how it was brought up in different places, Um, I want to look at how David saw it in in one of the Psalms that he wrote, right? So we're going to look at at Psalm 16. Um, And it's David writing to God, and he starts in this verse. um, He's writing to God after he'd been through many hardships in his life, right? In, in, um, In one book that I read as I was thinking about Psalm 16, it said, this is when David learned how to speak to his own soul. Right, I love that. We need to be able to speak the things that God has for us into our own soul. And the Psalms are a good place to look at how people spoke to their own soul and how they infused those tools from God and those promises from God and were able to keep them in a different way. Um, Right. So let me read that part to you. It says, um, Psalm 16 says, save me, O God, because I have come to you for refuge I said to him, you are my Lord. I have no other help but yours. I want the company of godly men and women in this land. They are the true nobility, right? They're choosing no other gods above you. I will not offer sacrifices or speak the names of other gods. He goes on to say the Lord himself, the Lord himself is my inheritance, right? My prize. He is my good food and drink, my highest joy. He guards all that is mine. Right? He sees that I am given pleasant brooks and meadows as my share. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. He gives me wisdom in the night. He tells me what to do. Right? And then he goes on in the, in the last part of Psalm 16 to say, I am always thinking of the Lord, and because he is near, I never need to stumble or fall. Heart, body, and soul are filled with joy for you will not leave me among the dead. You will not allow your beloved one to rot in the grave. You have let me experience the joys of life and the exquisite and the exquisite pleasures of your eternal presence, right? It talks about this being this settled place that David had gotten into of joy wasn't something elusive anymore. He was settled in it. It was something that belonged to him and he protected it, right? And so how do we recognize this joy? So if we look at it, you know, David's life was this roller coaster, right, of, of kind of living in the world and living in God's presence. And his story is very rich on both sides of that. Um, we often think that, you know, the, the people in the Bible sometimes can't be related to our lives. But David was human in every sense of the word, uh, right? So he's such a good example for us. But in this psalm, he's really learning the power of joy and how he needs to employ it, not as an emotion, but as a certainty, Right. You fill my mind, body, and soul with joy. It's a certainty because you've already promised it. You've already given it to me. It's a tool to be used by your children, and you've given it to us as such. Um, The theme of the psalm is settled joy, right? Salvation is complete in God's plan, and joy is a natural part of that. Um, It isn't something that doesn't exist when there's trouble. It's already settled, right? So whatever we do, wherever we operate from, Joy can be in the midst of that. It can be in the midst of those pressures. It's ongoing and ever present, but I will tell you, we have a choice to recognize it and bring it in, Um, or we have a choice to leave it out, and there's consequence for that, right? And we'll talk about that, but we have a choice about saying, I recognize the joy that God's given me, and I recognize that I have, it's a tool for me. I own it. Um, David was delighting in God's people as well in this psalm, right? And finding joy in their midst, even in the times of hardship, realizing that there's joy in the provision that God provides us, right? Our ability to show love and show joy to God's people is a measure of our relationship with God. And those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love him. Right? We will find joy together in doing God's work. There has to be a rhythm to that, right? For ourselves and in the kingdom work. What's our rhythm to find joy in the things that God wants for us to do? It doesn't mean they're not hard. It doesn't mean that that we're not trying to overcome something that shouldn't be in place, right? That we're not trying to right the wrongs that go on in our human world. But what it does mean is that we're supposed to be joyful in that process, right? There has to be a rhythm of joy inculcated into that work. And so what that looks like, right? David's words talk of contentment in a time of discontentment, right? We become discontent and bored and restless, and we forget that God's enough in all situations. But the minute we drift away from that knowledge, right, we begin to see the end of joy. David understood that. He realized if I don't see it as a settled assurance in my life, if I don't recognize it, if I don't recognize it in my interactions and the way that I love people and the way that people love me, then I'll, I'll, I'll forget about it, right? It will it, we'll see the end of it. And no one wants to live in a life that has no joy in it, that they can't find any joy in it. Oh, by the way, God never intended you to do that. Don't be confused that you're closer and and sucked up more into the into the presence of God because you've gotten rid of all your joy and and you're sorrowful. God wants you to come to him in a joyful place, not because he doesn't want you to understand and recognize those places where we need to get involved in sadness and sorrow and injustice. He does, but he wants us to also realize that he's all powerful and he's given you the assurance of joy in your life. He's given you the assurance of him um, fulfilling his promises to you. And so you can come to him with those things and we can work in partnership with him on those things, but also infuse joy in that. And we'll talk a lot about why that's so important, right? If, to be in this settled place in our life with the joy—it's not something that can be taken for us from us, right? Part of this idea of recognizing joy is to know when your spirit is unsettled, right? If I'm, my spirit is unsettled, I've drifted from God, right? I have anxiety. I've left the domain of joy. It doesn't mean the same work can't get done when my spirit is settled. It means when I'm unsettled, I've gotten away from that, right? I now am not employing the benefit of this joy God's given me. I think sometimes we feel like, well, if I'm, if I'm settled, then that means I'm not doing anything. That's it's the exact opposite. If you're you're unsettled, God can't infuse power into whatever it is you're doing because you're unsettled. And when your spirit's unsettled, it means you've disconnected from the Holy Spirit and that infusion. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. It also means you're leaving a void. And oh, by the way, who comes in when we leave a void? The devil comes in, right? He comes in. So we have to recognize that cold wind that blows between us and God, right? We have to recognize when we're unsettled. That's how we recognize joy. If we start to become unsettled, We need to go back and get in alignment. We need to go back to to the source. We need to spend time in God's presence and draw off that source of joy, right? So that we recognize when we're not connected to the source. That's why it's got to be this rhythm of, I got to go back and get filled up with this joy so I can go do this work infused with God's power. And if I don't go get filled up, I can go still do the work, but I'm doing it at a deficit. I can go still do all the things that God wants me to do, but I'm doing them from a deficit. Um, So when we feel unsettled, you know, there's lots of ways to to work on that. And we've talked about that in the rest of this rhythm series, right? Of getting in rhythm of prayer and worship and getting in the world, in the word, not in the world, getting in the word, right? Getting in prayerful company. There's so many ways to realign and get back to this place of joy when we're unsettled, right? And get back into our settled knowledge of the power of the most high God. He's already given it to you and he has unlimited capacity to continue to pour it out to you. Um, So, you know, once we recognize that we drifted out of the domain of joy, right? We have to regain access. And in some cases, probably for most of us, um, after we've recognized that, then we need to immerse in it right? Then there's ways to do that. We've got to spend that time saying, man, I've drifted away and I feel the cold wind blowing and I need to immerse in this joy from God, right? And so I'm going to go back into prayer. I'm going to go back into worship, right? What's our rhythm for immersion to get back to this place of, of being able to derive joy from the source, which is God, right? So David tells us we have to receive our counsel from God because the access to joy is, is found there. That's where we find it, right? There's no other entity. There's no person. There's no human condition. There's no human man-made thing that's going to fill that space of joy and be able to fill you up. So, so we keep searching, wanting human things to fill this void and it's impossible, right? When you say, I'm not happy. I'm not joyful. I can't find it. And you're searching in the world for it. You're going to continue to stay in that place, right? If we're not sitting with God and claiming that provision from him, we're missing out, Um, You won't find a substitute for it. You're you're not going to. I can tell you from experience, right, that immediately when my spirit's unsettled, I have to get in the presence of God in some form quickly. I run to it without hesitation now because I know how quickly I can go down that rabbit hole, right, of being disconnected from the joy of God. Um, You know, David talks to us in this psalm about the benefits of being with God, right? He speaks of, of the joy and rejoicing that goes on in God's presence. If you're in God's presence and you don't feel any joy, or any rejoicing for what he's already done for you and what he's going to continue to do for you and his kingdom need to revisit that space and figure out where your barrier is. God's not withholding the joy. You have a barrier to it, right? David talks about that to us, tells us there's joy in God's presence. And so we need to go back and figure out where the barrier is that we're putting in, right? So as we get in this place with God and we immerse, right, we've recognized the joy and where it is and where to find it. And we've recognized when we moved away from it, we've gone to this place of immersion in it. I've got to get with God and get in his presence because that's the only true source of joy. Everything else might be joyful for a time. And then it's going to, it's going to be fleeting and you're going to be searching again, searching again, right? And we go back to that definition where it talks about settled assurance of joy. I know right where to go. Here's the source. I'm plugged in, getting filled up. I'm not going to search in all these other places and be disappointed, right, or get a a counterfeit version of joy. I'm going to go right to the source, right? So after we've done that, you know, our third step in this is we have to learn how to employ the Spirit in that process, right? We have to employ the Holy Spirit in that process. Um, It's an interesting concept of being drenched in the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about that before, right? So many benefits from that idea of being drenched, but one of them is to drench us in joy, It's also drenches of wisdom and discernment and and all kinds of things, peace. But in Acts, it talks about the disciples being continually filled with joy through the Holy Spirit, right? The disciples needed the Holy Spirit to fill them with supernatural joy, and we also need that. So as you're sitting there, you're thinking, how do I test that, right? How do I test if I'm being filled? David tells us in Psalm 16 that we can love those around us in a way that God intends, and and he's settled for us. And that's a way to test if we're filled up. Can we love those around us in the way God intends, right? We can test our joy through, you know, those couple of ways. Am I settled in my spirit? And can I love God's people the way that he wants me to and the way that he intends, right? We can look at those things. If you can test them by those couple of measures, you're well on your way, right? If there's still unsettled areas, take them back. Immerse them in the Holy Spirit again. You can't leave it up to chance. It's a gift you'll be given over and over and over, right? God will just keep coming. But don't be hesitant to revisit the topic with God, right? The benefit of that then is then a life spent knowing that God's in control. He's joyful about his work with his creation, and we are meant to be living in the same joy. Um, The sacrifice in this is knowing that we have a choice to make in receiving the joy that he gives and live in it. Sometimes it's easier to stay in the discomfort and anxiety, and I understand that. Sometimes that feels like a more comfortable place, even though our spirit's unsettled. But God didn't ever intended that. And he can't come in with his full force when we stay in that place. Right? David knew that God wouldn't leave his soul in the grave. Right? He talks about that. He wanted to live in a continued presence of God. We have to be careful about living like it's all lost. Right? Like we're already dead. The joy brings life to our relationship with God and with other people, with other humans. It's a necessary component. It's not optional. And we have to make a conscious choice to seek it and then receive it. Um, We're supposed to enjoy the path here and enjoy the path knowing that the the assured part of it is eternity, right? It's already there. I think sometimes we resign ourselves to life being hard. And and while that's true, there's always assurance from God that he's in control and he has plans for his children. And we can work through the hard times with that settled eternity in our pocket, right? We can keep that with us. So David knew that his life was going to be marked by the highest pleasures, right? He knew that because God had promised that it, it wasn't a life lived about shallow excitement and shallow entertainment, but it was deeply rooted in the power and eternity of an all powerful God. I just think, man, what if we could just get a little sliver of that, right? So we see the benefits of how we get in. We want to get into our portion of this joy with God, right? Into this discussion with him. We see how to recognize it. We see how to immerse ourselves. But now I'm going to talk to you about how do we employ it. And a lot of times people think, well, joy's for me, right? I need to feel joyful. I need to get in this space. I don't, what does employ it mean? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Let's talk about that, Right. If we get in a sovereign mindset, we need to think about this, of using the gifts that God has given us for his kingdom, not just for ourselves. because don't be confused. When you get in the Bible, God will tell you, here's all the things I have for you, and oh, by the way, I need you to use them for my kingdom work. They're not just for you, they're to show God's power, right? Um, We need to get in this sovereign mindset of using his gifts. How do we figure out how to do kingdom work that expands God's plan, right? We have to recognize and immerse ourselves in that joy, but now it's time to wield that joy for the kingdom of God. How do we wield it for the kingdom of God, right? We think about the weapons or the tools of the kingdom of God. I cannot think of a more powerful weapon in the hand of a Christian than being fully immersed in the joy of the Lord and then infusing that into everything we do, every conversation, every thought, every interaction, right? If I'm carrying his presence, I can do all of these great things. But if I'm not and I'm doing everything excluded from his joy, I'm failing in in a certain way, right? Because I'm not bringing his power in. You and your human condition do not have the power to infuse his kingdom on earth. You have to do it backed and fully infused by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And he tells us that joy is one of the main tools that he wants us to use, right? Christians have to show the joy of living life anchored in the eternal. You think to yourself, I'm a Christian. I want to show the power of God. What is coming off of you? What are you showing? We have to show joy to the people around us. We have to show God's power, right? We can't be mired in our circumstances. We need to act on our circumstances under God's guidance for sure, but we can't be putting out the light of joy in the hopes that we can make a bigger difference if we leave it to the side, right? That actually weakens the work you're doing. It weakens the work of the the work of other people around you, the other kingdom work that's happening around you, right? It isn't, um, it isn't that we can't be angry or sorrowful or, or, or sad about something. But if we don't infuse the power and joy of God into that, then the work that we do will be ineffective. Um, the Bible tells us that. God doesn't want you to work outside of him. He wants you to work in concert with him right? We need to have the joy of the Lord to be effective. Otherwise the work doesn't have his full power and the joy and sorrow that we have for all these things that need to go on. God loves that about you. He loves that your heart aches for the things that his heart aches for, but he also needs you to couple that up with his joy. That's how his power comes in. If you uncouple them, then we lose, um, his power in that. So, you know, it talks in the Bible. I know you guys have heard that verse about the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we think, well, that's for me, right? Like, cause I need to be able to do whatever that verse is telling you joy of the Lord is your strength to do his work. That's how he intended his creation to operate. Right. Sometimes we feel like we don't, we don't have time for joy. We're undeserving of it. It's a bad thing to feel joyful because it will undermine anything else that's going on, right? If I, don't, if I bring joy into it, maybe it will undermine the seriousness of what I'm doing. We rob God of his full power and glory when we engage in, in his work devoid of joy. We rob him. We have to be jubilant about the fact that we serve an all-powerful God. And all of the work in front of us might be hard or sad or sometimes make us upset or disappointed, but we can't lose sight of the fact that God can and will use our efforts for his kingdom and he'll use them in the most wonderful way when we infuse his joy into it, right? Imagine the impact of the tool of the kingdom of God, joy. Imagine the impact of that tool storming the gates of hell. If all of God's people were working from an infusion of his joy, the devil would be rocked back on his butt. Can you imagine the impact that would make, right? You can say, I'm going to work hard and diligently for this cause, this injustice, this thing that God's put in front of me, and I'm going to recognize the sadness and the anger and frustration, and I'm going to validate that, but then I'm going to tackle all of it from a place of God infused joy. Because God's going to win, He's going to be victorious. And we've got to show that. We have to bring that in the room with us, right? The devil knows that if you stay in a place of sorrow, even when you're doing good work, even when that sorrow comes from a good place, if you stay in that place, he has an entry point. He can mess with you and he can mess with that kingdom work. But when joy is wielded, he can't mess with it. Imagine what he says when we, when we get after an evil in the world and we do it with the joy of our God. It crushes him every time. Imagine when he sees Christians coming to do Christian work and he's like, well, they don't have any joy in it, so I got an entry point. But imagine if he sees us coming with all the joy backed up behind it, and then he's like, oh, crap, here they come, and they're bringing all the power of the joy of God. Man, they're gonna get something done. They're gonna get something done. They're gonna eradicate some evil, some misdoing in the world, and I'm gonna lose ground. That's what we want, right? Don't get in this place of I'm on mission and there's no time for joy. You can't do that. It's not an emotion. It's a tool for the kingdom of God. It's something that you have to choose over and over and over. We have to infuse it. We have to show it. We have to offer it to others and chase after it diligently because the devil knows there's strength in there and he wants it to remain elusive to you. He wants you to not be able to find it. He wants you to not be able to seek it, right? Um, You know, it's so funny. There's a scripture in, in Psalms 34 that talks about those who look to him are radiant, right? I want the glow of the joy of God to blind the devil, Then you're doing your work and he's blind to it. He can't see it. He can't mess with you. And he can't mess with the kingdom work you're doing because the radiance is blinding him. But the only way to be a radiant Christian is to be full of the joy of God. It's so important, right? It's dangerous to hell when we're joyful. But listen, we are either dangerous to hell or we are dangerous to the church. Right, And if I can't show the joy of God and the power of God, I am not dangerous to hell. And I might be dangerous to the church and this kingdom work that God's trying to do because I might slowly chip away at it because I'm refusing to infuse a tool and a power that God's given me, right? We've got to be obedient in finding and employing joy. We're told to do that in the Bible over and over and over. And we see the benefit from it, right? Don't be confused where there's a void in joy The devil will fill it in. There's not just a void there. You you think, well, I'm not joyful, but it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's not okay. Because where there's a void in that joy, the devil will fill it in. Joy is a kingdom tool that brings light into any situation, right? And when we don't employ it, the devil is happy to fill that void in with darkness. He's happy to, right? But when we bring the Jesus's light in and we're a conduit to show that light, It takes the devil out of the mix. He doesn't have a place to fill in, right? We want to take all his space away. He can't live in the light. And if we light everything up, he doesn't have anywhere to operate. Um, it doesn't mean there's not still hard work to do there. We can light up the hard work. It means we can get after the hard work still. I'm not telling you not to do those things for sure. We need to get after the hard work that God's got for us in His kingdom. He never said this was going to be easy, but He did say, if you'll light that place up with my joy and my power, it will keep the devil from messing with it, right? We got to get to this place of balancing pain and sorrow and optimism right? Joy being involved in the pain. It's okay to have both. It's actually necessary. You can't leave the joy out, right? If we don't see God in the work we're doing, we need to redirect to God and find him, right? If we we need to see where he's at, right? Where there's compassion and justice and understanding and wisdom and mercy. And yes, joy has to be involved in that, right? We may see other things even as we're reading through the Bible and we think, man, God's told me to do all these things and they don't feel right. Right. We we talk a lot about this idea of forgiveness, you know, and sometimes we're like, it doesn't feel right for me to forgive. It doesn't matter. The Bible told you to do it because there's benefit to God's kingdom when you do it. Right. So if you say to yourself, but I don't feel joyful, it doesn't feel right to feel joyful. It doesn't matter. It's a tool that God needs you to employ. You have to find it. Anyway, and do what he's told us to do anyway, because it's the only way that he can bring his power in and employ it, right? It doesn't come naturally in the human. So we have to go to the supernatural source of God so he can infuse us. That's how we employ it. That's how we get the Holy Spirit to fill us up, right? It's interesting if, if we don't exercise something, and in this case, we're talking about joy, it will start to, we will start to veer very far from it, right? And it gets much harder to come back and find it. Listen, I don't want us to ever get in a place in our life where joy is so elusive that we just can't get to it. We will be living from a deficit in that place. God can't infuse everything he has for you in that place. And we don't want to do that, right? God can't use our work to his full effectiveness without joy. And he needs us to be in a rhythm of joy to fully utilize us. Um, right? Jesus operated in the world in a time of, of great division and illness and death. And he operated from peace, knowing that God was in control. And he had work for him to do that was infused with power and love. And it all came from this place of joy in God's plan, right? Joy fills a huge void when we employ it in our work. We can bring God's kingdom down in ways we can't possibly imagine. But if we're leaving the void, something else is going to fill it in and it's going to cause havoc. So when we have no joy, we have to ask God to fill us so we can operate whole and full, right? I, I Quickly, you know, and and as we're about to close, I want to talk to you about something real quick. You know, we have talked about this idea of recognizing joy and what that looks like and how to know when we're separated from it. We've talked about this idea of immersing ourselves and getting filled up. And there's all these different disciplines and ways to do that. Right. So that it becomes a rhythm and something we recognize if I need that. Right. Just like I need food. I need water. I need joy. I got to go get it. It's part of what keeps me a healthy part of God's kingdom. Right. And then how do I employ that thing? How do I wield that joy for the kingdom of God? What benefit can we be, you know, can we derive from that personally and to everything that God's trying to do in the world? Um, so we've talked about that and we've looked at what that kind of, what that might look like. Um, you know, as we close this morning, I want to talk to you about this idea. I remember, um, in 2010, we were going to Haiti, Haiti had just had a massive earthquake. It was horrible, devastating earthquake. Um, And when you fly into Haiti, the airplane flies low and you have to circle. Haiti's not a very big country for those of you that haven't been there. You have to fly a circle over it because you have to line up on the runway in Port-au-Prince, which isn't, you know, the airport's kind of in a weird position. And so as they're lowering the aircraft, we're flying in, we're going in on humanitarian aid. We're going in to help these people. We're going in to, um, you know, to spend time figuring out how we can help them recover from this. And so, there's all these soldiers on the plane and everybody's talking and everybody, you know, everybody's excited. We want to go in and do this work and, you know, help make things better for them. But as the plane starts to lower and we start to circle the Island, you can see the devastation. There's nothing standing. It's just rubble. There's just everything that would have been standing is gone. It was probably the most devastating picture from above I've ever seen, right? To fly over and circle. And the plane got quiet. Everybody was silent looking at what we were about to enter the devastation of what we were about to enter there nothing was standing Haiti already had lots of you know problems prior to that earthquake happening and then it just made it all come crumbling down on them literally so we land and we get into our mission there, right? You put soldiers on the ground and things start happening and, you know, they start fixing things and we're getting a pier back up and we're being able to bring food in and we're doing all these things and we are on mission for a good cause, right? Like this is what we're supposed to be doing. And you got Marines and coalition forces and you got all these people out there. And, you know, if you've never stood in a place where everybody's sort of, All on the same mission together and really getting after it it's such a neat thing to watch you know and um, you put a bunch of soldiers and Marines and coalition forces on the ground Air Force and you know all this stuff on the ground Navy's out in the water helping us bring stuff in and, and man it's a it gets going quick and you can go from a mess to really having some some structure pretty quickly and so it's really a neat thing to be part of but you know, the interesting part is I got so focused on that mission, right? And we're going to get this done. We're going to get this pier up. We're going to get food into these people. We're going to get this rubble out of here and we're going to get them places to live. And we got to clean up their, you know, their basic services, right? There's sewage in the streets and, you know, an earthquake devastates every part of a a community. And so, you know, there's still aftershocks going on. So people are still scared and, and operating in fear. And so, Um, I'm on mission and we're down there and, you know, every day's rolling into the next and you're just moving, right? Got stuff to do, got stuff to do. And I remember the chaplain in our unit said, Hey, Marcy, I want you to go over the orphanage with me. And I thought, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time. Like I got to get this pier up and we got stuff coming in. I got to get these containers of food out, right? I mean, we just got a million things to do. We're on mission. We got to get stuff done and it's important work. And he said, no, I want you to come with me because I want you to meet somebody over there. So I go to this orphanage right down in the middle of Port-au-Prince. Um, and I meet this lady named Mrs. Toussaint. I'll never forget her. Really short lady. The most lovely smile you've ever seen. She comes out. She runs this orphanage in Haiti. Has run it for years. Um, and out of her own house. Much um, of it is run off of just funding from other sources because she doesn't have any money. Um, the interesting part is as I walk into the orphanage and and she has taken in all these children who have disabilities or some kind of, um, learning disability or physical disability. So she has probably 25 children living in this place and she's got people there working. And, um, but all of them are have multiple issues that need to be dealt with besides just care and safety there. There's all these other things. And so I'm talking to her and I'm watching the joy from her and we're holding these kids and we're spending time there. And, um, you know, it was, it was this idea of I'm on mission. I don't have time for anything else. And it was so interesting what God wanted me to learn there. Right. So he said, I want you to stop your mission. I want you to go in here with me. I want you to stop and listen for a minute. Let me teach you something. And so I'm talking to Mrs. Toussaint and we're having a conversation and she spoke, you know, um, perfect English and and we're having a conversation with her we're holding these kids and doing stuff. And I said to her, you know, wow, it's amazing. The joy that radiates off your face. I'll never forget this conversation. She said, you know what? I have to show these kids happiness because if they don't learn it, it will always elude them. And I I thought to myself, man, what a powerful statement from this woman. There was nothing easy about what she was doing. If anything, I can't imagine that there was anything but hardship out of what she was doing. You know, no money. Now the country has just dissolved around her already wasn't doing well prior, right? She's not getting any government support for this. She's not getting any, any benefit to herself for this. She's moved all these children into this home that she owned. Um, and she said if I don't show them happiness if I don't show them what it looks like and they don't learn what it looks like, it'll always elude them. Listen, we have to show the joy of God to the world or it will always elude the world. They have to see it We're needed in that process so that the world can recognize and immerse and employ the joy of God. It's critical to the advancement of his kingdom. And where are they gonna learn it? Where are they gonna see it? And if they don't see it radiate off you as a child of God, it will always elude them because everywhere they look for in the world, it's not gonna be there, it's not gonna be real. The only place they're gonna see the real joy of the Lord is coming from his children. So we have to learn that we own the joy and it's our job to show it. And the sorrow and the things of this world can steal that from you if you don't make a choice to protect it. It's a tool God gave you, you have to protect it to bring God's power down, right? What if we were all radiating the joy of God in our kingdom work? I can't imagine what that would look like. We have to realize that joy gives us strength. It's what transfers God's power to us. We have to learn to recognize it, to feel when we aren't operating in it. We have to run to get it, to immerse in it, right? To know that it's ours and we own it and we we can go and get it, right? And then to get filled up and then we got to employ it and show it to the world because the only way happiness and joy will infuse the human world that we live in is through God's power, and the only way they'll see it is if you show it. Joy makes us dangerous to the gates of hell in the most effective way. It's the most powerful tool of the kingdom of God in some cases. We need to realize that, right? I want to read one more time just the end of the psalm from David. Start in verse 8. It says, I am always thinking of the Lord. And because he is so near, I never need to stumble or fall. Heart, body, and soul are filled with joy. For you will not leave me among the dead. You will not allow your beloved one to rot in the grave. You have let me experience the joys of life and the exquisite pleasures of your eternal presence. Let's pray. God, I just want to bring these, your children, to you. I ask that you take this moment to infuse than with joy in those places where they can't seem to find it. It's elusive, but it's so necessary. And you know that we come to you this morning in humility saying, if we've lost this tool of your kingdom, we ask to be brought back into your presence. We ask to be infused with it. We ask the Holy spirit to come and sit with us, sit with us until we get filled back up. You have so many things for your children to do. And you're so excited and happy that we're involved in it, that we want to get involved in your work. But you don't want us to do it from a deficit. You want us to do it empowered by you. And I ask that you fill in each and every person in all the places that you intimately know that they need to be filled. That you would touch those places now. That they would feel an infusion of the Holy Spirit because they own it. It's theirs. You're giving them their inheritance. And they're taking that from you. We praise you for this tool you give us, that we could show joy to your world. We praise you for that partnership that you wanna have with us. I ask that you allow us to understand that it's okay to be joyful and to be infused with joy and to bring it into the situations that seem the hardest, that it's okay to bring joy into the darkest times, that you intend for that, And that you can bring your power in right behind us in such a powerful way when we do that. Give us permission to be joyful, knowing that our our eternity is settled. We love you. We praise you. We're so grateful for this time with you this morning. We offer up our kingdom work to you. We ask that you would overlay it with all of the tools that you would have for us to use and that we would never lay them down, but that we would employ them in exactly the way that you would intend. We pray all this and praise you in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for spending time with me this morning. Um, this was such a good sermon for me to write. God's had to give me um, a reinfusion of joy. Uh, And I'm so grateful for that. And so I hope that you'll spend some time with God um, over these next few days saying, where is the joy eluding me? And how can I come back to you and find that and still be able to do these powerful things that you want me to be involved in? Um, If you're new to our community, LMCC, please reach out to me. My email is marci, M-A-R-C-I, at lowermanhattanchurch.com. would love to talk to you and hear how God's working your life and hear how we can pray for you. Um, I wish you a joy-filled, powerful week. Uh, I, I hope that you see and feel the presence of God in a new way. Thank you for spending time with me this morning. Love you.